Do you have a story to tell? Here at Rider on the Road, it's the journey that matters. Regardless of where you are on your riding journey, Rider on the Road will inspire you to take your dreams and make them happen. So sit back and enjoy the show as Melinda brings you guests who know what it's like to go it alone and who are willing to reach out to the rest of us by sharing their stories. Authors, publishers, entrepreneurs, people at all stages of the riding journey, just like you and me. It's time, dear listeners, to answer the question for yourselves. Do you have a story to tell? Welcome to another episode of Writer on the Road. This is the most exciting podcast that I've done to date and I've raced straight in from school. I have the beautiful Annie Seaton with me again. Hello, Annie. Hello, Mel. How are you? Good, thank you. This is an impromptu podcast, everybody, and it's an opportunity I just couldn't resist. I have my favourite lady sitting here looking particularly glamorous, I might say. She looks like she's all dolled up. Yeah. I thought of you. My haircut. <laughs> it's all very fancy. Um, but the excitement is around the release of Annie's new book, Daintree, to complement um, her beautiful Kakadu novel, and you all know about that one. We all know Daintree's coming out. I did just post on Facebook, everybody, that's called Daintree Sunrise, but we've lost the sunrise. Annie's going to tell us all about that and everything else. So if you're not interested in Australian fiction, you're not interested in the landsca- uh, Australian landscape, go away, because we're going to indulge here this afternoon. Annie... Tell us about, let's start with the launch and work our our way backwards. Okay, um, two weeks today, 14 more sleeps, but, you know, I don't get obsessed about these sorts of things, as you know, and I try not to post continuously on Facebook because I'm sure people get sick of that Annie Seaton who's always doing that. But I'm very excited about this book. My first book was very special, Kakadu Sunset. My first print book was exciting. I'll still remember for the rest of my life the day I walked into the book warehouse at Coffs Harbour and saw my book on a bookshelf near um, Di Morrissey and all of these people that I have revered for years, Australian authors. But this one, it's equally exciting, but it's more like a consolidation. I said to my husband the other night, I think I'm an author now. You know, you, you always have that self-doubt that you just write words and someone just took you on as a fluke and published one book. But now that the second one's up there and it's come and I actually held it in my hand yesterday, I thought, wow, I'm an Australian author. <laughs> now, I, I have to jump in because isn't it funny? Annie's written several books. I know she's written quite a few books. But now... <laughs> Yeah, 26, just a couple. She's written a couple, but, you know, got nothing else to do. But to say this book is what's called, why you call yourself a real author, it's interesting how we take a while to trust in ourselves. What is it about this book that makes you say, yeah, I've done it? I think with both Kakadu, Sunset and Daintree and probably even more particularly with Kimberley, the tentative title for the third book in this series, working with single titles rather than shorter contemporary romance or historical romance or paranormal romance, working with single title has given me the freedom to really explore my characters, 
and go much deeper into goal, motivation and conflict and why do they act like that and what makes them react in a certain way and what makes you know people attractive to each other and what makes them cross with each other. And I've just written this afternoon a wonderful scene where my characters just took over in Kimberley. He's just discovered that what he was doing was totally off tangent and she confronts him about it and my fingers couldn't keep up with my thoughts. And when I read it back, it was very, very strong dialogue and very strong feeling. And that's what I think with these single titles is what my readers are appreciating. And of course, that is embedded in a layer of our beautiful Australian landscape. And our landscape in terms of physical geographical landscape, our landscape in terms of endangered areas. And I was tagged last book um, by a couple of different journalists. One called me an activist romance, activism romance, and the other one talked about eco-adventure romance. <laughs> so I think what we're trying to do with the title change is to move away from the romance and, you know, Daintree Sunrise maybe a little bit romancy, whereas Daintree is just a single word that gives you a sense of place rather than anything warm and fuzzy about the sunrise or the sunset or the moonlight or whatever we, we do with that. So Daintree, um, we look at the physical landscape, we look at the danger to the landscape, and when I knew I was going to be talking to you today, I, I've given a lot of thought to this. I'm not what you'd call a greenie. I've never been a greenie as such. I just love my country. And over the last four years, we've traveled so much and I've grown to love different areas and different landscapes a lot more. And I've become so much more aware at my age of the unspoken dangers to our landscape that, you know, are often hidden under development or, um, well, even climate change, you know, threatens the dane tree. Um, Rural residential development, for example, you know, people love living on two or five-acre blocks. What we don't realise is that that fragments the habitats of animals from season to season who used to move from one area to another. And up in the Daintree, there's 122 endangered species of plants and animals. So that's just, you know, the, the tip of the iceberg. That's one little part of Australia that's actually only 23 kilometres long, 23 kilometres wide from um, Cape Trim down to the estuary of the Daintree River. It's not a huge area, but 122 species in that sort of area of space is quite, you know, confronting to think, you know, what are we doing to our beautiful landscape? Okay. So, yeah journeys into landscapes journeys into people's characters and i'm just loving what i do yeah and it, look it it shows it shows in annie's face and i can hear the passion in her voice uh daintree river it's a magical part of the world and for any of our um offshore friends who are still listening after i told you all to go away if you don't want to listen about australia uh the daintree is up the top it's past cans it's heading up towards cape tribulation and it's a tried and true trekking place for a lot of our more intrepid adventurers because once you get to the daintree you've got to cross the river you've got to have a four-wheel drive and you've, it gets harder and harder to go further north. Like, I think you can get to Cooktown or somewhere like that on Bitumen Road now. But once you get up into those areas, you've got to be self-sufficient. It has that wilderness, jungle 
um, survival type attraction to it. Um, I love the Daintree. I'm terrified of the crocodiles. I'd rather stay at Port Douglas and Wasman. Thank you very much. So I, I'm a little bit safer. Um, Annie, tell us. Are you allowed to tell us about the plot? Yes, I can certainly can. Now I'll just let me grab a copy. Bear with me. Yeah. Now I have put a photo up on Facebook. Everybody, yep. Annie took the most beautiful photo today. I just love it. It's it's a gorgeous picture you took for us. <laughs> And that, again, is one of my passions. Would you believe I was home by myself and I set that up on a pile of books, one of which was one of Fiona MacArthur's Lie Bird of Lake romances. I had a grin when I put it underneath the camera. I thought Fee would love that. Um, and I have got a little application on my phone that lets me set the camera up and then sit with the phone on my lap and take the photo all by myself. I felt very clever, so I yep. got the light right. So um, Daintree is, I'll read you the blurb. Dr. Emma Porter, who was the older sister in Kakadu Sunset, and for those of you who've read Kakadu Sunset, there was a horrendous family tragedy, a murder, that has really impacted on the um, growth and character development of the three sisters. And that comes through very strongly in the Daintree, in Daintree, because Emma always has to be in control of what she does. And that's a throwback to, you know, the, the tragedy that happened five years ago before this is set. Now, she's settled in a little town called Dalrymple, which is based on Mossman. I thought I'll make a fictional town. And um, G.E. Dalrymple um, was the explorer who discovered the Dane tree back in, let me read, and this is something that you'll get an exclusive on. We love in, our exclusives here, everybody. Oh, yes. In the, on the page before Chapter 1, I love this, it says, a dazzling commingling of shades, colours and intricate minutiae of outline that would puzzle even a Malay to paint or a laureate to describe. The deliciously scented arums all in full bloom and hanging moonflowers greeting us as we passed with whole greenhouses of rich perfume. And that was from the reports and narratives of the North East Coast Expedition by G.E. Dalrymple in 1873. So G.E. Dalrymple had a little town named after him in my book. And Dalrymple is very loosely based on Mossman. And Dalrymple Gorge is pretty much the Mossman Gorge, where I'm sure you've been and explored the lovely paths and strangler figs. So many scenes in my book are purely based on this area where we explored, um, I think it was 2014, we had a few weeks up in the Daintree. And we went to the markets in Mossman, we walked through Mossman Gorge, um, we went up to the Daintree Village, and all of these settings are in the book because it's very important to me when I write a book that I've been there, that I've stood in the place, that I've leaned against the strangler fig, that I've smelled the rich earth of the rainforest. And a lot of my reviews say to me that I can evoke settings very well, and I think that's because I go there and I smell, feel, hear, and um, when I can't remember, I get on YouTube and there's a wonderful scene in this book with a cockatoo that builds a nest and sings to his mate. And I watched the YouTube video of that because I wasn't fortunate enough to see that when we were up there. But that's a key part of the book because the book is actually about wildlife smuggling and how that endangers the Dane tree. And, of course, we have lots of baddies and um, we have lots of suspenseful situations. And Kakadu, we had crocodiles. Daintree, we have snakes. 
Oh, so. yeah, see, I'm not into snakes. I hate snakes. Um, Daintree's got crocodiles, everybody, as well. And the Daintree's a very interesting area, Annie, because it has a lot of ecological issues in that suburbia is encroaching up there and the local envir- local environmentalists have fought very hard to protect their space and keep the keep I guess urban sprawl at bay and the council's done a very good job of that so so far has any of that that stuff come into your book well there has um for those of you who enjoyed Kakadu I had the lovely Bill Jarriger the Aboriginal workman on the farm in Daintree I, I love my secondary characters and over my life, I have known a lot of larrikin bushies, um, family, and living out west for a while, I get to, got to know these, and it really distresses me that we are losing our larrikinism. We're losing that generation of these old bushies that I even find have a certain Australian accent in different you know, parts. Now, I'm just looking for the part of the book here because old George in my book is actually wearing a T-shirt that says, Save the Dane Tree. And it was a T-shirt that he had back in 83 when they were trying to put the um, road through the rainforest. And he quite proudly shows Emma and her mum, and of course I can't find the line that I'm looking for now, um, he quite proudly shows them the tear where the um, police German shepherd dog ripped his T-shirt as he was protecting the Dane tree back in 83. So, yes, I've gone right back and researched um, the Dane tree and the development and I also have a theme through it of traditional bush medicine. I have a beautiful Aboriginal character called Wilma Randall who teaches our doctor um, all about alternative and complementary therapies. And um, that I, my first review went up on Goodreads yesterday and they commented on that. And I'm pleased to say it was also a five-star review, the first oh, one. Well, I have to have a look at the reviews. Now, I did try to, at school today, because I was so very, very busy, I did try to have a sneak preview at this thing, but I couldn't get in. You don't have a preview chapter up or has it got to be released? It's actually got to be No, it has to be released. There's nothing up. Um, you know, when you're contracted with a publisher like that, you're limited to putting up um, what you can put up pre-release and um, copyright and all those sorts of things. So, no, there's really only the blurb that tells you what it's about and quite a few advanced review copies have gone out. So this was the first review. And, you know, I'm going to really show um, my lack of confidence here. I've been terrified. I thought Kakadu was very strong. It had a very, very good reception. And as Daintree was edited, and I have wonderful, wonderful editors at Pan Macmillan. Well, I'll read you. I I know I'll be able to find this. In the acknowledgements of um, Daintree, I have actually said, um, and I know exactly what page this is on, so I've said it before, um, to Lachlan Jobbins and Georgia Douglas, my editors, you take my words, you bring me back to the ground, and then you teach me how to fly. And that's what they do through the whole book. You know, chapters will be rearranged, characters will be developed. But all through this process, I've been thinking, oh, my goodness, it's nowhere near as good as Kakadu. 
you know, I've had one great book and I've, I've, I've written this book and people are going to be expecting this wonderful book. And I, I've been making myself quite ill about it, really worrying about it. Well, last Friday I went up to Coffs Harbour and I hadn't seen a proof copy, but the book warehouse up there who were very supportive of me said, oh, we've got our proof copy. And I went, oh, can I see it? Because my wonderful daughter-in-law has actually drawn a map that is inside the book and I particularly wanted to see that because it's very good. So I bought it home. Can you hold it up for us? Oh, yes, 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 I can certainly do that. Um, as I bought it home, my husband's driving the car. Now, can you mm. see the map? Yep, up a bit, up, up, up. Yep. There you go, everybody. Oh, oh. Yep, I'm going to go. put this up on YouTube tonight um, so that everybody can have a look at what you've achieved and that and just celebrate with you. Uh, this remarkable journey of yours and that and the map and question how do you get arc copies uh have you got to be part of their distribution no no uh, no, no 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 i ask people who are interested and i give their names to my let me drop this to my publicist my publicist at Pam McMillan sends them out. <laughs> Annie, Annie, Annie Seaton's famous, everybody. <laughs> you've got to Who's celebrate. Yeah, you've got yeah. to celebrate where you can. Yeah. Lucy's had about six emails to me today. Um, I posted, I've got lots of appearances um, from the end of the month. Um, I think in a matter of 10 days, I've got eight um, different book signings, library talks, a trip to Sydney to have lunch with Pam McMillan, which is very exciting. And radio interviews um, that I haven't got in detail yet, but there was about a dozen of them last time. So that's why I'm madly trying to finish book three before all of this starts. But I just want to hark back to what I was saying a moment ago. In the car on the way home with the art copy, I read it and I had this wonderful feeling that came over me and thought, oh, this book's good. It is. It's good. What was I worrying about? You know, reading it as a book rather than a manuscript on a screen. I read it as a book and this huge feeling of relief came over me. And then to see the five-star review um, from my first reviewer, I went, oh, I think I've done it again. I hope I've done it again. Now, this is this is a slice of life, everybody. This is a slice of life of what it's like to be a, an author. And he's sharing with us those very real doubts and fears that overcome all of us, even someone as infam infamous as my friend Annie. Um, what you're saying is 26 books later, um, the huge success of Kakadu Sunrise. Now we've got Daintree without a whatever, Sunset Sunrise. I've got them all muddled up now. Um, oh it's good that they're <laughs> dropping the sunrises and sunsets so people like me can cope. Um, I'm guessing that excitement, like, you know, we all know I'm rampantly in, um, indie author, but listening to the excitement in your voice that your publicist has organised all those wonderful appearances for you, libraries, radio shows, trip to Sydney with the publisher, for a little minute there I'm going, oh, I wish I had a publisher. So there are some benefits for selling your soul. <laughs> Sorry, I was being cheeky, everybody. You don't sell yourself. I'm a hybrid author. I've been yeah. ebook, digital with three or four US publishers. I've self-published um, and now I'm with Pan Macmillan and I have found my, my home there because it lets me do one book a year. It lets me research it. And I'm looking forward to next year because this year, as you know, was terribly hectic for me. I had a seven-week research trip um, back up in the Wit Sundays, and another exclusive Wit Sundays coming up. <laughs> after 
and a really, really super secret. Now, nobody is, who hears this is allowed to tell anybody. We're heading off to the Tanami Desert next winter and I'm writing a book set in the Tanami and I'm so excited about that one. So because I had so much time out this year and I had my little overseas jaunt with my friends in the European summer, my re my writing and research time was really narrowed down. So I've actually written Kimberley that is due to my publisher in about a month. I've written it in about six weeks instead of over the year. <laughs> that so. is huge. That is huge. Now, Annie does write very quickly. I think from our last interview, I remember it was 5,000 words a day sometimes, could be more yeah. than that sometimes. Remember, everybody, we do have the interview from a couple of months ago, which I might post in the show notes so that people remember, so we can go back and listen to the journey that Annie's been on. Um, now, the exclusive that's just gone out, we knew about Kimberley. We had inklings of Whit Sundays. We didn't know about Tanami Desert. So, excuse me, my nearly 10,000 listeners out there, we <laughs> have to remember that we, we come first. And Annie and I were talking about, you know, our reasons for doing what we're doing. And you can hear it in Annie's voice that our beautiful country, our beautiful landscape, uh, I just wanted to clarify that... People like Pan Macmillan, and I know Harlequin, would it be fair to say that our Australian publishers look after our Australian authors beautifully? Oh, look, I have been absolutely delighted with Pan Macmillan. I have the, the experience and, you know, having been self-published and published digitally by some US um, publishers where the experience, uh, let, all I will say is that it varied um, you can read into that what you what you want to. And I mentor a lot of aspiring authors. I get lots of um, emails from Australian authors who say, look, I've just been offered a contract by such and such, and I know you might have been published with them. What can you tell me? So, you know, you have to be very careful what you say because everyone has a different experience. Everyone has different expectations. Just to be able to say, you know, I have a contract is good for some people. A lot of people are quite happy to be totally indie and self-publish and I've got so many friends who are doing so well out of that and they're happy. But I think I have found my home with Pan Macmillan and I really hope that they're happy with me. I'm, I mean, the sales from Kakadu were very good compared to, you know, what they expected from a debut author. I made that and some more. I'm certainly not going to be able to go overseas on my sales or anything, but... I like to think that I am consolidating my position and that with each book my readership will grow. Yeah. And, and I'm quite happy to have an Australian readership. That's that's who I'm writing for at the moment. And but you know, that being said, I have a huge e readership internationally. Um, with Kakadu and I get lots of emails from overseas. So they are intrigued even by the name Kakadu. Um, they just went, oh, wow, you know, how did it get that name and tell me about it? And then the Daintree, I've got a lady in the US who's working with me as my PA <laughs> and she's got a band of American women together in every state who have got badges that say, I love Annie Seaton and I love Annie <laughs> And on release day, they're going out to each try and get 10 or 20 people to learn about it. And it's just these marketing techniques that I think hopefully will spread my 
time, <laughs> my nine. <laughs> she's not altogether comfortable with this, everybody. She's blushing a little bit and feeling uncomfortable. <laughs> Annie, you deserve every minute of it and we should be shouting it from the rooftops. Uh, I think it's great that we're infiltrating the American market and that you've got all those wonderful things happening. I think we've got a... a from I've only been around for a few months, but I've just seen such a supportive, collaborative uh, environment among the romance authors and some fantastic books coming out. I've got some great women, and it is usually women, coming on the podcast with these amazing um, book covers. Um, who's the girl on the Murray who's coming on shortly? Oh, Dari Fraser. Yeah, I've got uh, Dari coming up. She's got a beautiful thing. Yeah. That cover is stunning. Yeah. So. Now, everybody, if I can please beg you to come on the podcast, just show me your cover if I like. If I like your cover, I'll have you on the podcast. I've got to be more discriminating, haven't I? I was say, don't judge a book by its cover. <laughs> what first thing we all look at before we look at the blurb and the reviews, we fall in love with the cover. Yeah, look, and I will I get better, everyone. I've been blessed with cover love. <laughs> uh, now, I've got to say, Annie had up on her Facebook page, everybody, the Daintree cover. And it is beautiful. It's it's exactly as the Daintree looks, no surprises there. But that glassy water, the bridge, the photography is beautiful. But it wasn't until today that I actually had a close-up look on, on my iPad Pro and I saw this thing up close that I went, wow, this is really stunning. This is embossed. Not only is it nice to look at, it is nice to touch. It's raised up and embossed. And I actually had another Pan Macmillan author message me on Facebook yesterday. Actually, it was a comment on Facebook. And she said, is your title and name embossed? And I said, yes. <laughs> It is embossed. And look at me. I just touch it all the time. My poor husband just walks around the house rolling his eyes because, you know, I walk around carrying this or I have a huge print in my um, lounge room that I'm waiting for him to put up on the wall next to Kakadu Sunset because I'm getting visitors next week and I want it up on the wall and I'm not allowed to put picture hooks into the wall myself because the walls are precious. So that will be a job when he gets home from school this afternoon. <laughs> now I was I am talking to Annie and there is a plain white wall behind her. If Annie was a clever, she'd actually have all her books up there now so that we could see them in the background of the the podcast well, child. You know what I'm gonna do do for you? Just bear with me. She's gonna I'm stick gonna... it up. We'll lose her all together now because she's walking no, away no, from no, sound. No, no, no. You can still hear me. You can still hear me. Now I am oh, she's taking us into the lounge room. I'm in my living room. Can you see my wall? Oh, some of these characters are naked. Oh, they're my early romances. Now, behind me here, oh, hang on, too much reflection. We have a glorious print of Kakadu Sunset. Yeah. And over here on the floor, waiting to go up. Now, I have to put the laptop down. We have an equally beautiful print of Oh, and it is beautiful. Look, it is beautiful. I'm homesick for these places, everybody. I know we're being self-indulgent here today, but its I think it's a celebration. I think it's a real celebration for what you're doing, Annie. And I love that eco-adventure, that activism, that, that passion for landscape that just shines through. Annie's back at her desk now after the tour of her house. I just couldn't think of anything. Imagine waking up every day and going out into your lounge room and seeing all your books around you. It's, it's almost creepy. 
I mean, my, my husband did say that in about one wall I'm going to have to stop writing because I've run out of walls to put the, the prints up. So I said, I oh, will just get smaller ones <laughs> or I can come into the study <laughs> or now get I, a big house. <laughs> yeah. Now, I remember from, no, you've got to stay at the beach. Annie also sent me a picture of the beach, everybody, and I think it's 10 megabyte or something, and I thought, I'm going to keep that photo forever. So for every book that she puts out, she's got to send me a photo of a beach where I'm not talking to her. Um, now, from memory, you may your books may be being released or re-released in America. Is that the case? Which sorry, I lost yep. the sound for a moment. Uh, the... Kakadu, Kakadu, and uh, Daintree are they going to be released in their own style in America in in yep. hardback? No, no. I, I my contract with Pan Macmillan is only for Australia and New Zealand and territories. Um, I did have a US agent for a while, but I don't have an agent anymore because I'm a control freak. And they, they said that the publishers don't see that Australian fiction holds any commercial appeal for US readers. So the how many thousand copies that I've sold of Kakadu in the US and UK market, they're obviously people who don't listen to what they're supposed to be reading. I'm very cynical about this um, because a good story is a good story, irrespective of whether it's set in Antarctica the Dane Tree, Northern Europe, Italy or Chicago. And and keep and in mind that my listenership, even on this small, very small podcast, 48% of it is American. Yes, yeah. And, you know, I, I know I get so many emails. And my, my newsletter list, I've got um, 2,500 subscribers and I think 2,300 of those are US-based who email me. I have competitions and um, I've got a little puppy dog being has been named by one of my US readers in my second Prickle Creek romance when I get round to writing that in my spare time. But, you know, the, these readers interact with me every month, every newsletter, and they love reading about Australia. Did I just hear something about Pickle Creek? Prickle Creek. Pickle Wackle? Prickle, Prickle, Prickle Creek. Prickle Creek. We're going to work on that, everyone. We're going to get it to change that name. <laughs> Prickle Farm at Prickle Creek. Um, I've, I've already written Loving Lucy. It's been published, but I've taken it down because I have a US um, digital public, publisher who's interested in publishing the series at the moment. So um, I'm just sitting on that one. But I have four cousins, Lucy, Liam, Jessica and Sebastian, from all over the world who come home to Prickle Creek. <laughs> And we even have a Christmas at Prickle Creek. <laughs> How can you go from Kakadu to Daintree to Prickle Creek? Excuse me, everybody, all my dreams are shattered. Uh, now, this... Prickle Creek is the Pilliga, the Pilliga Scrub. Let's <laughs> get... I've been to the Pilliga Scrub. I've been to the salt... What is it? The salt bushes in Norseman. I've been around Australia. I've been everywhere. But I've let's get this it. conversation back to what I I originally got so very excited about and it's this release of Daintree how very quickly that you write and how very quickly that Pan Macmillan have given you or you have earned such a huge profile because it's okay to be indie publish and we all love it and I'm passionate about it and you've published with Entangled and a few others but this mainstream presence in Big W and bookshops has actually given you a standing, and it may not come through financially, but it'll certainly come through in numbers of sales, I should imagine, because you've got that visibility thing happening now. 
Yeah, I think I think that is really happening, and it came home to me earlier today when my publicist emailed me. They actually, and I, I put it up on my Annie Seaton Author Facebook page today. Um, the list of events that I'm doing, and when I clicked on the Pan Macmillan events page, Matthew Riley was underneath me, and Michael Clark was above me. And I'm going, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, Matthew Riley, Michael Clark. Annie Seaton. <laughs> that was just another one of those moments. And, you know, am I a fraud? Hang on. I'm up on the page with them. They are publishing my book. It's just so exciting. And it, and it is. And and I think this is part of the process, everybody. We, we talk about how to and we talk about nuts and bolts and we talk about everything. But we've got the opportunity right now today and for the next 14 sleeps, 13 sleeps, 12 sleeps to celebrate in Annie's success and to celebrate in her excitement because it'll be us next you know everyone wants to be where you are and everyone wants you to go to the next stage and one of the things is I guess that Australian authors are so very very supportive of each other and that's really exciting um Annie over the next 14 days um I think you'll have to shoot me a little excerpt of your book each day so we can post another little bit up what I'm going to ask you to do now and I don't know if you're allowed can you just read the opening couple of paragraphs of your novel so we can just listen to a little bit of it? I certainly will. I'm delighted to. The first thing I would like to read you, though, is the dedication because this is very special to me. It says, as always, to Ian, the love of my life and my rock, you are always there for me. Now, he is my driver when we do our research trips. <laughs> now, remember, everybody, they travel around. They've got their caravan, which just caravan turned up one day. Caravan. Yeah. And off we go. And today I have actually ordered, I've gone down the path of Jen J. McLeod. I have ordered a magnetic sign to go on the side of the caravan with Annie Seaton, author of Australian landscapes, fiction in Australian landscapes, and pictures of my book covers on them. And it says, Come and say hello. My books are available here. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I've got to tell you that I was fossicking around some websites, everybody, some forums, some grey nomad forums, and Annie Annie Seaton popped up on one of the nomad forums and said, Hi, Mel, how are you? I got thrown off the same night because my title is Rider on the Road and my vehicle had my business sprawled all over it, so I got kicked straight back (laughs) off again. Oh, oh, I better not put that photo up publicly then. (laughs) No! Okay, you... Chapter one. Yeah. Okay, are we ready, everybody? Chapter one. Be serious. Now, come on, this is the teacher in me here, getting the class in order. Chapter one, Saturday morning, Daintree Village. Hoi! Emma Porter pulled the cotton blanket over her head, snuggled deeper into her feather pillow and tried to ignore the voice calling from outside. Cocooned in soft warmth, she slipped back into a doze and tried to pick up the fragments of the dream she'd been immersed in a sparkling sapphire blue swimming pool, a sun lounge, a mango cocktail in her hand and not a patient in sight. A tanned waiter with a beautiful smile offered her a hot towel with a pair of silver tongs. The muscles in his bare chest rippled as he leaned over. Oi, you there, Dr M? With a deep sigh, Emma rolled over and opened her eyes. She'd pulled the blind down low before falling into bed in the early hours of the morning, but a sliver of sunlight still managed to peek through the gap at the edge of the window. Even though her gritty eyes tried to tell her she'd only had a few minutes sleep, the small bedside clock confirmed her fear that it was indeed morning. 7.30, but still way earlier than she'd intended getting up. 
It was Saturday and today was her first chance to sleep in after pulling six straight night shifts in emergency. Each morning she'd driven back to the clinic to catch a few hours sleep before opening the surgery in the afternoon. Dr M! Her slim hope of staying in bed was shot to pieces with the third call from the kitchen and Bowser's excited yipping. Now there's a dog, there's a dog everybody. Annie, not only do you read beautifully, you've encapsulated the the um, essence of that story in the first few paragraphs. We could all take a lesson in that, which we'll save for another day. Um, now, I do have plans for Annie, everybody. I'm hoping to do some writing w- workshops with her. We've got some online um, course modules happening. Um, and as you can see from the way that she writes, I noted down two things, mango, cocktail and tanned waiter. So I was really disappointed that she woke up. Can I tell you? and this is another secret no one's allowed to share, that was actually based on an experience around the pool at Hayman Island in the year 2000 with my girlfriend when we flew over there on a very cheap day flight and I was absolutely blown away because a waiter had a silver tray and tongs and a hot towel for me to soothe my heated skin as I lay around the pool. I've never forgotten it, though it's now in a book. (laughs) (laughs) And if you listen to the last podcast, everybody, it was when Annie was tripping through Europe and all those beautiful photographs come back from here. Please don't feel sorry for this woman. She was a teacher and for some reason she got out of that. I can't understand why. Now she lives on this beautiful beachfront or down beachy. She travels all over the world and she writes books about some of the most um, exotic locations in Australia. I can't wait to um, talk to you about the Wit Sundays. But tell me, you say one a year. We've got Daintree coming out in two weeks' time. Have we got to wait another year for Kimberley? Kimberley will be out in November next year. Yeah, and this is the trouble with traditional publishers, everybody. It just takes forever, especially when the book's finished. Yeah, well, I, I don't think it's a taking forever. It was very interesting because we did have the discussion about um, putting out two books a year. That would have been my preference. But apparently, um, and this is me quoting uh, a few different people, that you are taken more seriously with one book a year, a la Di Morrissey, Judy Nunn, Matthew Riley, and it is much easier to get promotion and publicity from the bookstores, the radio stations, if it's a once a year so, you know, my, I, I'm, I'm still seeing how we go with that. Hey, I'm getting old. I, a book a year, that, you know, how many more years does that give me before I have to retire and go and sit in an aged care facility or something like that? Yeah, I, mean, I mean, I've got to, look, we're going to deconstruct that, that little conversation later, but not today because we're celebrating. But there's some really weird thinking in that. And I was listening to a podcast from Joanna Penn today where she was doing a bit of a wrap-up on where she's heading for the next 10 years. And basically what they're saying is the indie publishers are now leading the push and traditional publishers are scrambling to learn how to market from them. And I'm going to suggest that Pan Macmillan needs to take a good hard look at what they're doing to you. And and it's like nobbling our, our best horse races, isn't it? Why on earth, when the book's sitting there, would they not release it? Um, Pan McDillan, if you're out there, I want to speak to you. Uh, Annie, we... Can I, can I jump in there and disagree with you, Mel? No, disagree. no, no, hit the button. But <laughs> at my stage of life, I'm finding now a year to do the research, do the writing and do the editing. After writing 26 books in five years, I'm really enjoying my one book a year. Because, um. 
leading up to the, the publicity, the last month has been hectic and the next month will be hectic. So you bring that back to one book every six months. You're doing that, you know, every second or third month. There'd be no time for writing. As it is, I've got little time for writing with my promo every day and the newsletters and things like that. And as I said, you know, I've written Kimberley in about six weeks. I, I did 10,000 words last Monday and Tuesday just to get myself past the halfway mark. Mm. I now have 7,000 words to do and I've met the contractual word length and then I can go back and rearrange it all. So... One one book a year, I'm happy with it. <laughs> and I think Jen J. McLeod said something very similar. She's very happy with her one day a year. You can have your life as well. Look, there are so many things to unpack in this. Did you just say you wrote 10,000 words? Was that each day? Was that 20,000 no, words I in two did, days? I did 5,000. I did 3,000 words last Monday and 7,000 words on Tuesday. And I was exhausted. My hands, I'm getting, my thumb is very sore. My fingers are getting a bit misshapen because... When you do that, that's that's a huge thing. My neck's never very good. I need mm. to go and have a massage. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, to be able to pace myself and, you know, what my intentions are every year and what actually pans out, it's just so different because I think, oh, next year I'll have a life. As you know, I do freelance editing. I won't take on, you know, I won't take on as much editing. I edited 360,000 words when I got home from Europe few different clients before I could even start writing so yes my life is very busy yeah and and look you deserve it um do you want to quickly very quickly run through um and we will everybody I will come back to Annie I will beg her actually I know where she lives I'll drag her on the podcast as often as I want a very knowledgeable lady very up there with marketing very up there with with the writing process and the editing process we haven't finished with you yet Annie but we have for today um because we are getting close to when your hubby's coming home to to celebrate another day of school teaching uh Annie can you just run through us where you'll be and what you'll be doing for the next few weeks just so we can share with you and celebrate Okay, well, on um, the Pan Macmillan website, it tells you the libraries that I'll be at. I'll be at um, Nambucca Library, Grafton Library and Coffs Harbour Library. I will be at the Book Warehouse at Coffs Harbour and I'll be at Bookface at Port Macquarie. And then the nicest book signing of all, I will be at the Beach Book Boutique at Early Beach on the 23rd of December up in my favourite place and doing a book signing up there. So, you know, from Port Macquarie, Coffs Harbour, up to Early Beach. They'll all be on the Pan Macmillan website. If you just go to Pan Macmillan and put in Annie Seaton, my events will be updated overnight tonight and they'll all be there. Plus you can also listen to the radio shows that I'll be on um, over the next month as well and you'll get a few little more nuggets of information about the book and about my process um, during that as well. Yeah, and I'll try and reference those as Annie travels around. Look, you'll get a lot more formal interviews with all those guys and they'll be very serious and they'll ask the right questions. Um, but we don't care about all that. We, we just get the good stuff. Now, you are having a book launch at Nambucca in a couple of weeks' time? Yes, uh, Saturday week at the Nambucca Surf Club. Um, we're fundraising for the Surf Lifesaving Club because that's very important to me here. We're living on the beach and um, we did the same thing for Cactus and we had 140 people arrived and we raised $700 in an afternoon with raffles and lucky doors and um, gold coin donations. So we're doing the same again on Saturday week at 2.30. If any of the listeners are local around here, um, most welcome. Just flick me an email and let me know that you're coming so I can buy enough champagne. You've got got to have a lot of champagne if you're celebrating. Annie, you're beautiful as ever and and thank you for letting us share in your excitement. Um, As I said, we, we are really looking forward to getting our hands on this book 
book. I, I did try to do a sneak preview. I can't. We've listened to the opening, everybody. I'm hooked already, which is an amazing thing. You've really got to hook your um, readers in at that very first paragraph now, so that's exciting. We know we've got um, to wait another year for Kimberley. Hopefully you'll put some other stuff out between now and then about other things. But now that you're a big-name author and you only have to do one thing a year, you might be um, just happy to rest on your laurels, child. look thank you my beautiful thank you for coming on and sharing with us um it's goodbye from a very special edition of writer on the road to celebrate annie seaton's daintree and we're all going to go out and buy it annie trust me we'll be lining up at big w and all those other places wherever it's for sale (laughs) 